Hello, and welcome to The Stockout. The Stockout is your show at FreightWaves about CPG companies, supply chains, and CPG company supply chains. I'm your host, Mike Bowden-Distel of FreightWaves. I'm an analyst and market expert here. I uh, follow the rail and intermodal uh, industries uh, closely, along with the domestic uh, truckload. follow that industry closely as well. And hope everyone had a good Earth Day yesterday, and hope everyone is... Um, Having a good Friday. I hope it's nicer where you are than uh, where it is where I am here in Dallas, where it's uh, raining pretty heavily. Um, but uh, this t- today, in honor of uh, this week being Earth Day, and more and more companies, uh, you know, rolling out uh, plans and pledges to cut back on their carbon emissions. I'm going to uh, hit on hit on that uh, uh, Earth Day topic a couple different ways. You know, first, I'm going to discuss. Uh, a report that I spent um, you know, most of yesterday, some of Wednesday as well, drafting up uh, for our passport research product that uh, directly uh, hits the concept of reducing carbon emissions by converting truckloads into intermodal units. Uh, so I'll discuss that. And then I'll also touch on uh, the topic in transportation, which I think is going to be the biggest, uh, potentially the biggest event of 2021 in transportation. That's Canadian National or Canadian Pacific. We don't know which one yet or if a deal will close, but one of those companies uh, potentially acquiring Kansas City Southern uh, Railway would be the biggest uh, railroad um, merger in a long time, um, and I think maybe the biggest event in, in 2021. So I'll talk on, on both of those things, which seem to be the topics of the hour, and I'll try to relate those specifically to CPG companies um, since uh, that's the, the focus of this show. But first... A word from our sponsor, uh, Echo Global Logistics. Echo Global Logistics of Chicago. Um, you should trust the experts at Echo Global Logistics for all your freight transportation and CPG shipping needs. Whether you're a Fortune 100 CPG company or a specialty food manufacturer, Echo has solutions to fit your needs. With their dedicated team, as well as Echo Ship, a self-service shipping portal, allowing you to quote, book, ship, and track Echo has you covered. Technology at your fingertips and experts by your side 24 hours a day, seven days a week. To find out how Echo can simplify your transportation management, please visit www.echo.com forward slash CPG today. So with that, um, with the, after that uh, sponsorship uh, announcement, um, I'll talk uh, on our first uh, you know, topic here, which is the passport research uh, um, report that I wrote the last couple of days, and sort of the the in, the, the concepts behind this was, uh, you know, some of the ideas we were kicking around. I mean, we have a lot of you know data. That's a uh, what you're seeing there is the, the first page of, of the report. I titled it "Not Easy Being Green: Finding Truckloads That Convert an Intermodal When the Low Hanging Fruit Is Already Picked." And what the the thought behind, process behind why we did this report was that we've gotten some uh, you know really uh, you know, sort of interesting data. Sort of, uh, sort of very relevant data, you know, lately, uh, you know, on the CPG, you know, industry, um, and, and that data was from a transaction uh, processing company that um, you know sees you know quite a bit of, of, of freight movements, you know, across a wide variety of modes. And we went in there and we created a hypothetical shipper, which was essentially taking the unique shipper ID from two very household names in the CPG space, sort of uh, melding them together, and, and let's say, you know, let's let's pretend that this. You know, these these two companies merged, and what what would their supply chains you know look like? And um, you know what we found is because these two you know companies are so sophisticated in the in the space, you know a lot of the what I would call the obvious uh, 
places where you would convert truckload to intermodal um, have already been you know converted. I mean, you think of intermodal as being uh, you know a, a very much a service of lanes. You know, your, your LA to Chicago, LA to Dallas, you know, Chicago to New York. Those type of very dense you know lanes are really uh, what drive the bulk of you know, transportation, I think I've heard that, you know, 65, close to 70 percent and some by some estimates of the total intermodal volume, you know, rides on about 10 dense corridors, you know, in the United States. And so intermodal is not an option for for everything. But a lot of the things where it seemed like our, our intermodal was the clear you know, option, what, you know, a lot of those those CPG shippers um, had already converted to. And so the goal then became a little bit more difficult, which was to look at the this these uh, CPG shipper, we called we called it Shipper X um, because we didn't want to reveal the name of who that shipper was. Um, but where could they go into their network and find places to convert additional loads, additional truckloads into intermodal units, and what would that ultimately do to their uh, to their supply chain? And what we we found in you know the area, uh, you know, say the, these the lanes from you know to and from Chicago and, and to and from Harrisburg. Is that um, you know I think I have a chart on this you know, the origin city uh, you know being Chicago that you know a large you know portion of the hauls from let's say Chicago to Harrisburg which is a very dense intermodal lane it's it's within the top you know ten uh, uh, lanes within you know domestic you know intermodal you can see there on the on the the, the top Chicago to Newville uh, Pennsylvania which is it's just outside of Harrisburg you know it's about about three thousand loads in this data sample were hauled via uh, Rail intermodal. If you look at dry van between Chicago and Newville, that same uh, you know origin destination location, only about 300 were going were going by dry van. So it's about 90% are going intermodal in this in this corridor, and you can sort of assume that the remaining 10%, which were which were on the highway, uh, that those were likely you know expedited you know expedited shipments, and you know they were just simply too time sensitive and too service sensitive. And I should mention that you know I've excluded from this data any uh, halls that were refrigerated in nature or that specifically said that they had you know, sort of specialized services. Those tend to not um, you know fit very well into an, an intermodal network. I should also mention that the vast majority of the halls that this shipper that this shipper hauls um, are you know very sort of short haul in in nature. A lot of them are. Um, you know, within one you know metropolitan area, if you sort of look, and, that, and that's really true of a lot of uh, you know companies when they you know, build out their supply chains. If you just look at what is the most dense transportation lanes within their network, you know, this particular uh, CPG shipper was Indianapolis to Indianapolis, and the others were um, you know Atlanta to Atlanta and Dallas to Dallas, and the average length of haul and a lot of their um, sort of sort of uh, you know truckloads were only you know let's say 40, 50 miles, and so. Those, you know, there would be, you know, no opportunity for intermodal conversion. You think of intermodal conversion really sort of playing a role when you start to get into that four to five hundred mile, um, you know, mile range. Um, and so you, you sort of exclude the ones where the 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 haul is is too short, and and start looking at the where the shipper is moving, you know, loads that are are further than you know four or five hundred miles, and it, you know, also with the criteria that they have you know long lengths of haul. And that they, um, you know, have sort of short drays, and you get into a situation where a lot of the low-hanging fruit has been picked. What we're seeing now is specifically in the Atlanta to Dallas lane, 
And between Atlanta and Dallas, you see, um, you know, all those other ones, you know, Stone Mountain, Lithia Springs, those are suburbs of Atlanta. Lancaster is a suburb of Dallas. So these are strictly between the Dallas metro area and the uh, the Atlanta metro area. And you can you can see that if you sort of add all those together, about 50% of the loads in that lane are moving uh, by uh, intermodal and about 50% are moving by truck. And so that's sort of in contrast to what we just discussed a minute ago between Chicago and, and Harrisburg, where it was about 90% were moving by intermodal. And so that Atlanta to Dallas corridor is one instance, you know, I, I went through in this report about, you know, four, four different lanes that were recommendations where the shipper should go back and see if there are any other, you know, opportunities to convert truckloads into intermodal units. And, uh, you know, by doing so, what the, the ultimate, um, you know, sort of first cost savings could be. And then if they were to take that one step further, you know, what they could do in terms of offsetting their, uh, their, their, their carbon impact. And sort of that uh, Atlanta to, you know, Dallas corridor is one that sort of stood out to me, you know, not only because it was not fully, you know, penetrated with intermodal with only about 50% market share, but also because those are both big freight hubs. There's a lot of... Uh, freight traffic that moves in those corridors. So you can see um, you know, on the screen on the left, those are the seven-day moving average of loaded domestic, so 53-foot containers volume that's moving between LA and Dallas. You see 115 containers a day. So that's, you know, call it, you know, one train every two days or, or, or two-thirds of a train every, you know, every day on average. And so that's sufficient density where um, you know you can have you know intermodal you know loads on that lane on the right side of that chart is the intermodal rates uh, shows $2.44 a mile. That is somewhat uh, high. It, you know, it does include fuel surcharges. Um, if you look at the recent you know, truckstop.com uh, spot rate, it's, it's sort of close to that, that area as well. But I've seen other estimates, including you know, one from our center rates tool that you know, show, it, show it a lot higher than, than, than that. So that's it's certainly, I think, one that's worth you know, checking on to, to see you know, for this particular intermodal shipper, for this particular shipper, if they could convert more to, you know, more to intermodal. Um, also, have an exhibit, you know, coming up that has, you know, four the the, the four lanes that I selected um, as sort of my recommendations for what this shipper, you know, should go back and 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 look at. And what what all those those lanes have in common is, you know, you're seeing on the screen now is, you know, Atlanta to Dallas, uh, St. Louis to um, Harrisburg, you know, Newville's next to Harrisburg, you know, Edwardsville, which is St. Louis to, to Rialto, which is San Bernardino, California, uh, Newville, um, again, you know, it's basically Harrisburg, Pennsylvania to Jacksonville. And, and so what all those origin destination pairs have in common is that they're all, um, you know, a, a long length of haul, you know, from, you know, from each other. And they all have a significant amount of, you know, intermodal density in that lane, which is, you know, very important. I mean, intermodal is all about uh, density. It's all about spreading the fixed costs over a long period of of miles because you get to take advantage of that lower cost per mile on the railroad in order to make up for the high dray costs on either end of the the move, you know, at origin or at destination. So you sort of think of uh, intermodal as a, a barbell is sort of the way that it was described. You know, to me, that sort of stuck with me is, is that you have a lot of costs at the beginning, a lot of costs at the, at the destination, you have fewer costs in, in, in between. And that's why you want to have long lengths of haul. And then you also need density in order for this to, to make it worth the, the railroads while to, to put it on, on, on the railroad. So as we as we sort of walk through this this chart, 
you see that um, you know those the the intermodal utilization in those lanes. And again, this is just for drive-in shipments, not including any reefer. It ranged from a fifty-one percent to seventy percent, sort of sort of sixty, you know, fifty-five, you know, sixty percent as being sort of an, sort of an average. Um, and and you know, thought there was you know additional opportunity there because uh, none of those were listed as having. Um, you know, spe special requirements or, uh, or, or having refrigerated. On some of these costs, the truckload costs per mile, so you know, getting this from two different data series, the, the intermodal cost per mile, those are spot rates, door-to-door -to, -door, uh, to move 53-foot equipment that we're getting from a supplier that gets those, those quotes directly from the, the Class 1 uh, railroads. And, and, and so um, I think those are pretty good, even though not a lot of uh, Intermodal actually moves on the spot rate most of its most of its contract. I still think is a pretty good indicator of uh, the supply and demand in those markets. And then we're comparing that to the truckload, you know, cost per mile next to it. Now some of those do look really high. You know, some of those are, are from our, our, our sonar predictive rates tool, but I think it's really just sort of a sign of the times with elevated uh, spot rates. Uh, you know, in place a, a very tight truckload market, but you see upwards of four dollars a mile, including fuel surcharge in some of those you know lanes. It is more reasonable on the backhaul lane, um, you know, going back from St. Louis to uh, San Bernardino, California, uh, so that that westbound route, which is actually a, a pretty significant backhaul route, both for trucking and, and intermodal um, because of uh, most imports coming through the West Coast, or at least, you know, that's the largest port of entry is, is the, the ports of LA Long Beach. And then, you know, even, you know, not really dealing with refrigerated in this example, but, you know, lots of uh, you know, agriculture produce also makes sort of that same trip eastbound from California to the central part of the of the of the country. So it does end up, um, you know, a lot of carriers have to reposition the equipment, you know, back, you know, back west. And so you sort of put those two things together, and you do get a discount that is on those four lanes that is, you know, quite a bit higher than what you would typically think of in terms of an intermodal discount. You think of intermodal tend to you're cutting truckload by about ten to fifteen percent. Um, you know, we have one data series that shows lately it's gotten to be about twenty percent because the trucking rates will move faster than the intermodal rates. Um, but in those cases, it's it's higher than that, and so that's why those some of those savings per load, um, you know, a thousand dollars plus, and some of those lanes even a little bit higher than that um, from St. Louis to uh, California. And then you know, in the, that bottom chart, we're sort of taking that one step further. And we are, um, you know, saying, well, what is the, the impact that that could have on, you know, a company's carbon footprint? Um, you know, there was a, uh, a conversion table, you know, that we saw that basically, basically took um, the, the carbon that, uh, or the, the, the credit that was necessary to offset one mile of truckload movement. And essentially, it, it equates at the current price, which is that this IHS um, market global global uh, index thirty dollars and thirty nine cents uh, uh, per unit. Um, you sort of you know, take that that conversion. It's about five cents to offset one mile of dry van. It's it's uh, only about a, a penny on the intermodal side. So, but 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 think about think about it being about a nickel per mile on the dry van side. And then when you sort of take that and say, well, you know, some of these loads, if you could really save a thousand dollars. You know, per load by converting one load from truckload to intermodal, um, you know, you divide that by a nickel, you get about twenty thousand miles, and the average truckload length of haul is four hundred and fifty miles. So that you know, there you know, it says you offset you know forty five uh, loads, you know, just by you know converting one 
long haul truckload in a lane where there's a lot of uh, of profitability uh, or or a lot of uh, discount uh, to the truckload price in intermodal and 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 using that uh, tax credit to offset uh, 45 you know truckloads. Now those those rates might be somewhat aggressive, but even if you think you're you know you're saving you know should should be really saving you know four or five hundred dollars a load on some of these long haul loads. That still, you know, can can offset say twenty loads, um, and um, you know, as as we sort of saw from looking at at this data initially, I mean, a lot of the loads are not that four hundred fifty mile average. A lot are sort of you know just within one you know metropolitan area, which might be thirty or or, or forty miles. Um, and and so uh, the the sort of conclusion is that you know truckload uh, tr- truckload uh, carriers as well as shippers, if they look at their supply chain and, and decide well. You know, some of these uh, time these these loads are not time sensitive. They can take an extra day in transit, which is typically what is required of uh, moving it via rail intermodal. They can really go a, a long way to offset, um, you know, a significant you know, portion of their um, of their their driving and truckloads, which can go in no other way than that than, than over the over the highway. Um, so this went out uh, to our. This full report went out to our Passport research audience uh, last night. Um, if you are a subscriber to the Passport, check out the, the Slack uh, page. Or if you're a subscriber to Sonar, uh, you can click the, um, the light bulb icon and get all of that research. If you're not either one of those, but you're a loyal uh, listener, viewer of the Sockout show, um, just send me an email, mbowdendistal at freightwaves.com, and I'll send that report uh, you know, to you. So the next uh, topic um, I want to cover today is uh, Kansas City Southern uh, Railroad, which um, you know may be acquired by Canadian Pacific or Canadian National. It was really kind of a bombshell this uh, Tuesday morning when uh, news came out that Canadian National submitted uh, an offer to uh, acquire Kansas City Southern that was higher than what we had just seen from uh, Canadian uh, Pacific Railway. It was a you know, 21% higher and, and uh, we had said, uh, you know, previously on uh, um, in the passport research product that we thought that uh, CP was paying a full and fair valuation for the the Kansas City Southern. It came out to about sixteen to seventeen times EBITDA, or twenty six to thirty times earnings, and that was really unheard of for uh, a, a railroad. Um, I thought the best, you know, headline, and then you sort of add to that this this latest CN uh, offer, which was twenty one percent on top of that. I sort of thought the best, you know, headline that I saw in in any news article. Uh, over the past week was there was a Bloomberg article that said, you know, forget Bitcoin, the real bubble is is railroads. And these are um, multiples that we've never seen anyone pay for a railroad, you know, before, but it just sort of speaks to not only the stock market being extremely high level, you know, something like 99% percentile of what the valuation typically is for the stock market as a whole is is, is where it is currently, but then also the particular interest in railroads that this is, the you know will be a transformative deal for either uh, Canadian National Railroad or Canadian Pacific uh, Railroad, and is is really the once in a lifetime deal. And this was is really sort of probably will be the last um, you know the the, the last uh, you know, great merger in the railroad industry. So what we're looking at here on the screen is uh, Canadian National's track in in pink there for the life of me i couldn't figure out how to change the the color of the the, the track from pink to, to red you think of cn as, as being red like the canadian uh, flag but you see um if you're not familiar with the cn uh it goes on the west coast you know 
hits the port of, Van, uh, port of uh, Vancouver. It also hits the port of Prince Rupert in northern British Columbia. On the east coast, it goes all the way to Halifax, which is one hour uh, further east in terms of time zone versus eastern time zone. It's all the way there on AST. And then it, it, it's like a T. It goes south to the port of New Orleans on the portion that was acquired um, from the Illinois uh, Central. And then in, in, in white, we have uh, Kansas City Southern, which is the company that you know, it goes through through Mexico I and mean, some of their tracks cut off. It goes you know, to the west coast of, of, of Mexico and then as far north as, as, as Kansas City. And what's different about the, that map when you, you overlay those two railroads is that um, it's not completely free of overlap the way that uh, Canadian Pacific was uh, with, with, with Kansas City Southern. Um, and in particular, you see sort of both of those, those tracks from KSU Kansas City Southern, you think of that as, as really being sort of a north-south network for, for, for CN. It's, it's north-south in sort of, you know, along the Mississippi River. Um, you know, the, the CN and CP have been going back and forth about, you know, how much overlap, you know, there really, there, there really is. But, but clearly, I think that there's a, a, a stronger case that, you know, could be made that there is some, you know, potentially harmful overlap between these two networks. So, so that could be thought of as negative. I mean, keep in mind for this, uh, for a you know, transaction to get approved by the Surface Transportation Board, the, the railroads have to demonstrate that uh, it actually enhances, you know, competition between the railroads and it's in the public's best interest. And there's not a lot of, you know, instances left where the railroads, you know, can, can do that. And so what all this means for CPG companies, I think, is, is a few things. I think it could potentially you know, be a positive development if a transaction comes to fruition. We don't, again, we don't know whether it's, you know, CP is going to acquire Kansas City Southern. We don't know whether CN is going to acquire Kansas City Southern. But in either case, um, it's going to extend the reach of those, you know, railroads where, you know, a, a, a CPG company could potentially, um, you know, move goods um, in intermodal lanes sort of on the railroad that, you know, it couldn't reach before, you know, over the highway. So if there's a, a plant, let's say, in, in Kansas City, you know, all of a sudden without, you know, changing, you know, uh, uh, um, trains, it could go all the way to sort of, um, you know, the Eastern Canada, Western Canada could go to, 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 to Mexico. So there's just a, a lot more opportunity there. And then there's also a lot of opportunity in, say, certain, you know, dense uh, freight corridors. And one that has come up quite a lot uh, in this discussion has been the, the freight corridor between Chicago and and Dallas. And so you think about CPG and it's consumed where people live. And so Chicago area is the, the third largest uh, metropolitan area in terms of population. Uh, Dallas, Fort Worth area is, is the fourth largest. There's no railroad that connects the two without, you know, having an interchange currently. Um, if CP were to acquire, you know, K K Kansas City Southern, all of a sudden you have, you know, the, all this under one umbrella, you can, uh, the, the CFO can invest on both sides of that track and you know, build out the infrastructure to have a much more dense, you know, lane. Um, so, I, and, and that's really, you know, can be true in terms of extending the reach to, um, to all, all parts of, of, of North America. So that could potentially be a positive you know, development for, you know, CPG companies. I think the, the fact that CN has come in uh, with a more aggressive bid, you know, really complicates things because uh, first of all, the, the, the deal with, between Kansas City Southern and, and Canadian Pacific, it has to be approved by shareholders. So now there's this other um, more attractive deal um, you know, 
that that's potentially though um, you know higher risk. But you would think that the, the shareholders would you know choose the one that's the higher price. But that one with the higher price, which is CN, also comes with a higher uh, degree of regulatory risk, I believe, because I think it's it's harder to make the the case that there's no um, reduction in competition or that it actually enhances competition. So I think there's a better chance if shareholders um, you know decide to um, reject the CP deal, end up approving the Canadian National deal, that that deal um, you know, ends up uh, not getting approved by the Surface Transportation Board or or taking or or taking longer. So it's it's a little bit of um, uh, you know, how much risk are the shareholders, you know, willing to take. But I think this is going to be interesting to watch and plan to have, you know, lots, lots more, um, you know, coming out. Also, an interesting, you know, comment on this is that Union Pacific, um, you know, said that, you know, they're concerned about, you know, anti-competitive practices and, and things, you know, it, particularly on the on the border um, and, and getting shut out and, and some of the, 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 the rail um, uh, volume, you know, on the you know on the Canadian uh, or on the on the Mexican Mexican border. So plan to go you know more into that um, you know later as, as as things develop. I think uh, Joanna Marsh, who is our writer uh, on the railroad industry for the site, she's published I think about two articles on this a day. Uh, so I'd encourage you to to check them out. Um, lots of, of, of drama going in there, but we'll, you know we'll say a lot of shippers. Uh, you know, have uh, you know come out in favor of at least the CP deal, where I think you know Canadian Pacific said they have you know, 450 you know shippers who said that um, they uh, are in favor of this deal. They say they 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 see the benefits of, of the extended reach, um, but don't see any degradation to um, you know to to the competitive nature of this. Um, just have a couple more minutes, so I'll talk a little bit about uh, the the company's earnings. Uh, the 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 C, number of CPG companies reported earnings this week. Um, you know, Coca Cola. Um, Philip Morris, Procter and Gamble, Nestle. So, so a lot of these, you know, just this huge cap uh, names. Um, you know, Coca-Cola. Uh, one of the things that's interesting about them, and sort of similar to what Pepsi said, you know, previous week that I that I talked about on the show, is that um, they have a lot of hedges in place in terms of offsetting these higher input costs, which the higher input costs for CPG companies is probably the biggest issue right now. They say it's probably going to be more of a 2022 event rather than the 2021 event, that they're pretty well hedged uh, for this year. Um, sort of along that same theme, you know, heard from Procter & Gamble uh, this uh, this week that said that they are going to increase prices on a number of their their goods, um, you know, particularly in, in, in the, the baby products and the um, sort of the personal care products uh, for, you know, specific increases in input costs. They said sort of they're going to raise prices in the mid single digits to high uh High, high single-digit range, um, which is the, the highest uh, price increases they've had, you know, since 2000, you know, since 2018. And then, um, you know, Nestle is re- reported as well. I think, you know, one of the key takeaways there is their their pet food uh, pro- uh, segment continues to perform extremely, you know, well. Um, their coffee business is performing extremely well too, although I think the coffee business is maybe less sustainable, um, you know, as people enter the the world again you know go some people go back to work you know full time and and maybe uh, act a little bit less as as their own uh, barista but i think that the pet food situation is here to stay and um, just have heard some recent reports always trying to find a, a, a an example of an actual stockout since the name of the show is the stockout but you know in, in a few states in the mid atlantic uh, just saw that there is a shortage of you know certain pet food in 
Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Virginia. So um, if you have pets in the, that area, go and, and stock up on uh, pet food. So I'll leave you uh, with that and um, feel free to reach out um, uh, if you want to you know, read uh, that report that I, that I was describing and uh, please sign up for the Stockout newsletter at uh, freightwaves.com forward slash the Stockout. So thanks very much. Hope everyone has a good weekend.